Internet Talk Radio. Planet Earth. This is TalkZone.com. Now, InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Is the world's climate changing or not? What should we make of unusual weather patterns we've seen lately in the U.S. and around the globe? InfoTrack's Taryn McCall talks with an expert to get some answers. Taryn? Thanks, Chris. The global warming debate has fueled intense curiosity in the public over whether drastic climate change is part of a natural cycle or something induced by human activity. John D. Cox is a veteran journalist and author of meteorological books. His latest is Climate Crash, Abrupt Climate Change, and What It Means for Our Future. And he joins us now on InfoTrack. Welcome, Mr. Cox. Nice to be here. The concept of global warming has become politicized. Why do you advocate taking it out of the political arena? Well, I think the problem with the subject of global warming is that it obscures some basic facts about the natural behavior of climate that we ought to be concentrating on at least as much as the likelihood of some man-caused changes in climate. It makes both sides of the global warming debate sort of underestimate the power and so the importance of the natural behavior of climate. That's the message of the concept called abrupt climate change. Do you feel the greater danger is from naturally occurring climate changes than man-made acceleration of the process? Well, I'd hate to choose between the two, (laughs) but I think it's clear that we have underestimated the importance of natural uh, variation. It sort of doesn't matter, for example, to the people of New Orleans whether uh, Hurricane Katrina is a result of natural climate variation or, or caused by global warming. Likewise, it wouldn't matter to somebody involved in an extended severe drought across this country, whether it's man-caused or not, what we have to do is realize that the stakes in climate change are just greater than we have supposed whether or not it is natural. And I think the question of abrupt climate change, which is clearly a pattern that we see throughout the last ice age and into the current phase we call the Holocene, is that there are large-scale, fast-moving changes in climate that would be devastating to uh, human societies, whether or not global warming is taking place, or whether or not there is effects of industrial emissions. And you write that throughout history, the collapse of civilizations that we're all familiar with as students, the ancient Egyptians and the Mayan and Mesopotamia, really were more about climate change than anything else. Well, if you match the profile of climate change with the history of human uh, civilizations, you see that it is an important element many of the uh, collapses of civilizations. You know, I am not one to say that there aren't ways to adapt to climate change. Not every civilization collapsed as a result of climate change. Some of them adapted. There are ways to make yourself less vulnerable to climate change in uh, any given civilization. At the core of the book is an example of a culture that did not adapt to climate change. And you were writing about the Norse community in Greenland back in 1400s. Generations of students were taught about ice ages, which were followed by periods of more temperate climates, one of which we're in now. But scientists are are finding that core samples taken from Greenland are showing a massive, as you say, fast-moving change that wiped out an entire society there, yet the indigenous peoples managed to come through it with no problem. 
what were the differences in the two societies that allowed one to survive and the other to die off? The curious thing is that here it is, the same changes in climate that caused the collapse of the Norse colonies in Greenland allowed the Inuit natives to thrive. So it's not altogether a question of climate. It's a question of our ability to adapt and maintain our livelihoods in the context of change. They have done some really interesting work that looks at the climate profile during that period that comes from the Greenland ice cores, as well as anthropological and archaeological evidence. And now they can see that there are things that the Norse might have done to adapt more successfully to the changing climate. And the fact that they didn't is sort of a haunting reminder to all of us that adaptability is as much a part of success in uh, civilizations as other elements of it. Now, the core samples that were taken there show what was referred to as a a little ice age happening Uh around those centuries. And this developed and moved through fairly rapidly and then retreated. Is this something that could happen again on short notice? Yeah, I don't think it's seen as a particularly likely event, but it certainly could. There are uh, circumstances that one could paint just on the back of an envelope, so to speak, and describe if the Greenland ice cap, for example, were to rather catastrophically melt or break up and flood the North Atlantic with, you know, an enormous amount of fresh water, it would affect the ocean circulation in the North Atlantic for possibly many years, and that would cause the North Atlantic to become significantly colder, and so all much of Northern Europe and certainly the northeastern part of the United States could be affected with a much colder uh, climate regime in rather short order. And you're right that it's not necessarily the temperature changes, but how the temperature affects precipitation that provides the catalyst for climate change. Certainly since the end of the last ice age, we can see that the big changes that have affected humankind have not been the temperature shifts that were dramatic and short and fast during the ice age, but it's been the precipitation changes. It's been the changes in the location of dry areas and wet areas around the world, which of course a lot of us can suppose that we're all fairly adaptable to nominal changes in temperatures, but if you lose your water supply, uh, that's pretty hard to adapt to. This has been a devastating hurricane season, and the discussion continues about warmer oceans spawning more frequent and more destructive hurricanes. It does seem that with warmer ocean temperatures, we are getting a tremendous number of much more intense hurricanes. Well, it's difficult, and I know it's a natural question that comes up in many people's minds when uh, something as catastrophic as Hurricane uh, Katrina. You can't very reasonably attribute climate or a particular weather event to a particular climate regime. It's an apple and an orange in many important respects. But it's certainly fair to say that increased hurricane intensity, at least, is consistent with a scenario of global warming in the sense that heightened ocean temperatures raise the octane level, if you will, of the fuel for hurricanes. And so you're going to get, at least conceptually, you're going to get more intensity to any given hurricane as ocean temperatures rise. The global warming debate, if you want to call it a debate, is really displacing the center of the question, if you follow me. To argue to the extent that we do about emissions control, both sides are assuming that these are going to have the desired effect. I would argue just because you can break something doesn't mean you can fix it. You know? mm-hmm. It's not necessarily going to be as manageable as all that. 
once things get rolling, uh, we should probably think as much about doing things to help communities in situations like Katrina or enormous drought as we should about, you know, arguing about who broke it and uh, whether we can fix it. But I think we have to be more adaptable. Whether record-keeping goes back about 100 years, is this enough to give us a reasonable model on which to draw predictions? Maybe the hurricane intensity is cyclical as our other weather phenomena. The answer is it's not long enough. It's not long enough for much of anything in terms of climate, tell you the truth, which is why paleoclimatology, the Greenland ice cores, and other uh, natural environmental archives such as ocean sediments and tree rings are playing an increasingly large role in our concept of what the natural behavior of climate apparently is and what the prospects for future change are. In terms of the cycles for hurricanes, I would say that there is evidence of natural cycles that would account for at least a large pattern of variability in the frequency of storms, if not their intensity. John D. Cox has been our guest on InfoTrack. He is the author of Climate Crash, Abrupt Climate Change and What It Means for Our Future. Thanks for being with us today on InfoTrack. Well, it was my pleasure. I'm Taryn McCall for InfoTrack. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. A production of Syndication Networks.